Welcome to our online messages. At WCC, we are in a season of action. And today, Pastor Scott is in the book of Acts, chapter 5, discussing the fruit of fear. Well, good morning, church family. It's good to see you today. I'm glad that you're here. Hope that you had a great 4th of July. Some uh, time off of work, maybe some time away. But we are here today, and today is a great day. We've already done some singing. That was good. Thank you, Dylan and the team. Can we just say thank you to them? We are going to look into the Word of God, which is good. We're going to hang out with the family of God. And then at the end of our service today, we are going to take communion, which means we're going to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. And so today is going to be a great day. We have been looking at the early church in the book of Acts and really the actions of God, and we're going to continue to see what those actions mean for his children of faith today. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 5. We're going to be on page 913. You could use this Bible sitting in front of you. And I'm excited to share some great truths with you today that that are going to help each of us grow in our relationship with God and so that we could be used in greater ways for God's kingdom. And so I'm honored that I get to be here today. Are you ready for the word of God? Let me just hear you. Yeah. All right. Here, some of you are ready for this. I've entitled this message today, The Fruit of Fear. The Fruit of Fear. And I want to talk about the fruit of fear. We all need to live our life with a healthy dose of fear. I'm not sure if you agree with that right now, but we need to live life with a healthy dose of fear. Uh, My youngest child right now is going through driver's ed, and in that program, what they do is they teach you how to drive, but they try to scare you a little bit, and I'm glad for that. I think she needs to have a healthy dose of fear getting behind the wheel of a car. Can I get an amen to that? And so they show some videos in that class, and they're like, this could happen if you're not careful, and these are the problems with texting and making phone calls, and I'm saying, okay, Give her a a steady dose of fear so that, well, not that she wouldn't not drive, but that when she does drive, she would uh, have a reverence for the car. And so anyway, in life, we need to have this healthy dose of fear. And I want to talk about that today as we look at the early church. God was bearing fruit in the early church. And when I talk about the early church, I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about there were a group of people who had recently, some of them had seen this, some of them had heard this, that Jesus Christ had been crucified in Jerusalem. That was a gory, ugly day in Friday. But on Sunday morning, the news started spreading that Jesus, who was dead, they saw his dead body, he's been raised to life. And the news starts spreading with these people that Jesus is alive because he is the Son of God. He is the one coming to bring new life to all who would believe in him. So this news starts going out. Jesus appears to over 500 people over a period of 40 days. They see him ascend to the right hand of God in heaven. And news starts spreading about him. And the very Spirit of God starts uh, living inside of people who believe in Jesus. And thousands are coming to Jesus. They're saying, we need this. We have a sin problem. We are hearing that he's the only way to be saved. And so thousands of people are following Jesus. This becomes the early church. So I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about a group of people. 
And this group of people, they start following Jesus. And we're going to see in Acts chapter 5 that they need a healthy dose of fear and that there is fruit of this fear. Let me do a quick review for last week. Some of you either were gone or some of you, like me, forget what I said. I, I, I talked about in Acts chapter 4 how the early church, we, call, we could call it the toddler church. The toddler church. They're just new to following Jesus. They're new to having the Spirit of God in them. They're new to what this new life means with Jesus. And like toddlers, they have the same problem that you and I still struggle with at times. Toddlers have this word in their vocabulary called mine. And the early church struggled with it as well at times where they'd say, wait a second, this is mine. But what God was doing through his spirit, he was transforming people and saying, wait a second, we're going to eradicate this word. And it's not so much about mine, but it's God's and it's ours. And God is radically changing the people to say, wait a second, life isn't about mine. It was given by God. All of the earth is not mine. It belongs to God. And so this toddler church is losing this word mine and the words are becoming God's and ours. And the toddler church was being developed by God. If you're taking notes, let's write this down. That the toddler church was being developed by God. Would you repeat after me? I need some developing. Every single one of us. And if you agree with that statement that you just said, you're in a good place today because God wants to develop you, and I want to show you some great truth today. So let's look at this story, but we need to go back to chapter 4 real quickly. Are you okay with that? Go back to chapter 4. This is where we were last week. I want to read some of this because it's just one long story here, and uh, we need to get back into some of this. Chapter 4, verse 32. Let's look there said, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And check this out. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. God starts doing this miracle where they're saying, actually, it's not mine. It's God's. It's ours. Let's share. But they had everything in common. Verse 33. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Again, that's the focal point, that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need." They become this family that is actually in the minority of the world. They're realizing, wait a second, we're following Jesus. We say that it's his kingdom, not our kingdom. And not many people believe this, even though we have a few thousand here. Not many people believe this. We're brothers and sisters in a big family. We need each other. This is what they're doing. It says there was great power there. Great grace from God was being shown. Then we have exhibit A and exhibit B that we talked about last week. Go to verse 36, if you would. Exhibit A. There was a man named Joseph who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. In other words, the apostles changed his name. They see what he's doing in the church, and they say, you know what? We're going to stop calling you Joe. We're going to call you Barney, because Barney means encourager, and what you have been doing is such an encouragement to the family. Here's what he did. It says this in verse 37, that he sold a field that belonged to him. The deed was in his name. 
and he brought the money and he, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Here he is. He's becoming a maturing Christ follower. He says, this possession that I had, it's not mine. The money I sold it for, it's still not mine. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. I'm going to share it with my brothers and sisters. Because God's going to take care of me. I don't have to worry. And the church family saw this. And the leaders of the church saw this and said, we're changing your name. You're not an ordinary Joe. You are Barnabas. You're an encouragement. You and the church, I imagine, is clapping, saying, thank you, thank you. We were struggling, and we were struggling. And, and all of a sudden, he gets a lot of praise. Then chapter 5, verse 1, exhibit B. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira, they sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie? We haven't heard the lie yet, to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? I mean, the title was in your name. And after it was sold, was not the money yours? Yeah, it was. Why is it that you've contrived this, contrived this deed in your heart? This idea that Barnabas got a lot of praise, and you probably saw that, that the church was applauding him, and we gave him a new name, and you didn't like your name, Ananias and Sapphira, and you didn't like that you weren't getting publicly praised, and you had a little problem in your heart, and you thought, mm, what if we do this, honey? What if we sell the land and we tell them we're giving it all and everybody will love us, but let's keep back some of it for ourselves so that we get the praise of the people and we get to build our own kingdom at the same time. Isn't that a good plan? She said yes. Goes on to say this in verse 4. Peter says, you've not lied to man, but you've lied to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last Drop dead. Catch this. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. Imagine that story going around real quickly. This guy, Ananias, he brings in some money, and he's like, yeah, I sold this. And all of a sudden, Apostle Peter calls him out, and he knows that that's a lie. And boom, Peter was dead. Or Ananias died just like that. And that news starts spreading, and they're like, oh, my. That's, that's crazy stuff. Goes on to say this in verse 6. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. But this news is spreading. Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. Peter said to her, how is it that you've agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And when the young, man came, young men came in and found her dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Verse 11, and great fear, there it is again, great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Imagine that. What happened today at church? Well, someone called somebody out. They dropped dead. And a couple hours later, he calls out his wife. She lies too. She drops dead. That'd get, that'd get us to sit up straight a little bit, wouldn't it, if that happened here? 
Now we're going to look at the fruit of fear here. What comes from this fear that the church is experiencing? There's great fear that they're facing. We'll talk about that fruit. But let's go back a little bit because last week we talked about that that there, there can be death in desire. Ananias and Sapphira, they have a desire. I want to talk about real quickly the the death that comes from our selfishness, the death that comes from our own flesh, the death that comes not from God but from our own selfish desires. Let me give you three words here that we looked at last week. The first word was see. Sometimes we see something. We envision something. Ananias and Sapphira, they saw this. They said, wait a second. We could get credit from the church and get publicity and praise and have money to build our own kingdom. I mean, they started seeing some things. Then they had a desire. Write this word down. This desire was like, wait a second. And it probably even started with a coveting desire. We want what Joseph got. There's this desire they had. And then from that, they took it. There's the take. To see something, envision it, desire it, and then say, you know what? I want what I want, and I will take it. Frankly, this isn't just the story of Ananias and Sapphira. This is the story of us. Amen? This is the story throughout the Bible. There's some passages in your notes you can look at this next week. We looked at those last week in Genesis chapter 3. It's a story of seeing, desiring, and taking. We go to Joshua and women in the Bible study. I think you're going to probably look at that this week. Issue of seeing, desiring, and taking. Really, this is our struggle, is that we see certain things in life, and we go, hmm, and desire starts to build up, and before long, if those aren't desires that come from God, we take what we want, and these desires can lead to death. Ananias and Sapphira, they see something, leads to death. Their desires leads to death. Now, we read that God took their lives I don't know what happens when you read a passage like this in the Bible. Sometimes I just got to stop and go, God, what were you doing? This seems a little drastic, right? They lied? Testing this. Haven't I lied? I mean, if God took the life of every one of us who have lied to him... Why did they get it so bad? Because we did, raise your hand, you deserve death. Raise your hand. Okay, look around. You're not the only one. Okay, if your hand's not up, you're either not paying attention or you need a good kick in the pants, all right? But God, why did they get, why did they get that? Seems a little weird. Were you just a little, were you just a little edgy that day? What's going on? Do you ever ask questions like that? Yeah, there, there are a lot of good questions here. Why does he kill these two? I started thinking about this. Okay, I, I can't answer all of these questions, but all of our sin deserves death. The wages of our sin against a holy God deserves death. Frankly, we should all be struck dead for lying, adultery, cheating, lazy, selfishness, eating too many donuts, even though those Benny's donuts taste so good. All right, we we, we should deserve the death from our sin. Then I start thinking, wait a second, if I'm not dead... That speaks to the mercy of God. 
right? And maybe I look at this, instead of asking the question, why did you do that to them? I start asking the question, why, why haven't you taken my life? You're merciful, God. Maybe this just causes us to worship in greater ways. Wait a second. Thank you for the mercy you have in my life. I don't need to know all the answers about Ananias and Sapphira. I'm just going to praise you and worship you for being merciful in my life. Can I get an amen to that? Well, we don't know all the answers to this. But I do know that the early church, the, the church in its toddler stage, they had to grow up. And God had to get their attention. He was setting a tone. Go to chapter 5, verse 5. One more time. Great fear came upon all who heard of this news. Go down to verse 11. Great fear came upon the whole church family and upon all who heard these things. And that was a good thing. Because there is fruit in fear. There is a fruit of fear. Certainly there can be a a death in desire, but there is a fruit in fear. I'm not talking about the fear of public speaking, okay, like that's greater than the fear of death for most people. Or I'm not talking about the fear of spiders. I'm the one in our family who kills the spiders. I got a little bit of fear. Everybody else has a bigger fear. I'm not talking about that kind of fear. The kind of fear that I'm talking about here that has the fruit of this fear is a fear, write this down, that has a proper reverence, proper reverence for God, a healthy attentiveness to who God is. And when it says great fear came upon the church, a proper reverence came for God. A healthy attentiveness to who God is came. And that's good. We're going to see that there is fruit in that. Now the early church, the toddler church, they'd been learning some things. God is loving and God is filled with grace. And that's good. But they also knew this. They also knew that they're learning about the holiness of God, the standard of God. They knew some passages like this, that God is a consuming fire. They knew their Old Testament. God is a consuming fire. Not just a fire that warms you up, but a fire that would consume. That's scary. But they also knew these passages as well, that God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Well, that's beautiful. So which one is it? God, are you the scary God, the consuming fire, or are you the compassionate, gracious God, which is beautiful? Does it depend on your mood? Does it depend on your day? Which one is it, God, scary or beautiful? I think he's saying both. I'm both. I'm completely scary. I'm a complete consuming fire. That's who I am. But I am completely compassionate, gracious, slow to anger. It's like, how? we wrap our minds around that? I don't think we need to. We just know that he's both. I was thinking about this. Things that are completely scary and things that are completely beautiful. When we have kids, when my kids were toddlers, there were certain things I would not allow them to do. Certain places that we went, like the beach. I'd say, let's go to the beach and look at this. But I want you to know it's scary. It's scary. Don't turn your back on the waves. This thing is a beast. You need to have a proper reverence for the ocean. You need to have a healthy attentiveness to the waves because it could kill you if you're not careful. You're like, that doesn't sound like a fun dad. But I'd sit there and say, but it's beautiful. 
Look at it. Actually play in it. Watch it from a distance. Take pictures. Enjoy it. It's beautiful. But I want you to know it's scary as well. My kids started growing up, and then they were driving cars. And I'd say, here's what I want you to know about driving cars. It is completely scary. You need to have a proper reverence getting behind the wheel. You need to have a healthy attentiveness to the drivers around you. This is a killing machine if you're not careful. But I want you to know it's completely beautiful, too, man. You get in a car, turn the radio on, not too loud. Man, you can go fast at times, not too fast. But it's beautiful. You'll have some independence, and you'll get to do great things, and you'll get to travel. It's beautiful. But I want you to know it's scary, and you need to have a proper reverence for the vehicle and a healthy attentiveness to it. But understand it's scary, and it's beautiful. A lot of life can be that way, can't it? And as my kids are getting older, I'm saying enjoy, enjoy the ocean, enjoy driving. In fact, enjoy all of God's creation. Just be careful. It's beautiful, but be careful. It's scary. Appreciate the beauty that God has made and let it lead you to worship him. But certainly you need to have a proper reverence for this creation. You need to have a healthy attentiveness for everything because it's scary. A couple weeks ago, got to go with my family on a little vacation. We saw this place called Horseshoe Bend. I'd never heard of it before. Amazing. Northern Arizona. Thousand foot drop. I would not have taken my toddler there when they were that age. They'd just have no clue that a thousand feet is a thousand feet. They'd probably just, you know, jump off the edge or something like that. But now that my kids are older, I took a couple of them, said, let's go check it out. I let them go right to the edge because I was confident they had a proper reverence for falling a thousand feet and the beauty of Horseshoe Bend. Uh, they got a whole lot closer than I did. <laughs> but I said, have a proper reverence. Have a healthy attentiveness to where you are. A couple days before, my son and I went to a place called Devil's Bridge. This was his idea. He says there's just this natural land bridge and you can walk across it. And, and it's not 1,000 feet down. It's only like 75. I'm like, 75, I'll still die, all right? Yeah, I'll just get there quicker. And so I was about ready to say, I took my son there, but I didn't. He took me. And I'm going to go, okay, let's go check out Devil's Bridge. And we got out on the middle of that thing, and through my peripheral vision, I see the tops of trees down there, and I'm just thinking, I wouldn't have taken a toddler there. They had no, the, a toddler doesn't have a proper reverence for where we're at. You just can't go off the edge. They, a toddler doesn't have a healthy attentiveness to this. But this is something that God's developing. Let me show you a quick little video of my son. Oh, my land. I took this little video. <sighs> That's good enough. <laughs> That's good enough is what I said. Yeah, you don't have to go any farther. I trusted him because he had a proper reverence of where he was. He had a healthy attentiveness. Yeah, right down there is your death if you want to take one more seat. But this is what is happening in the early church. They see some things and great fear was upon them. 
a proper reverence for God, a healthy attentiveness to God. You see, God made a beautiful world. Go see the creation. Go do it. Go dance to the music. Taste the food. Enjoy the friendships. Do all of that good stuff. But do it with a proper reverence for the creation. Do it for a, with a healthy attentiveness for God. The problem is when we forget these things, you and I, we become lazy in our relationship with God. You and I become selfish. You and I become ungrateful. We start abusing the gifts. Can I get an amen? There's a fruit of fearing the Lord because he is both scary and he is beautiful. But there's fruit to that. I want to share three thoughts with you on this, but I'm going to give you a few verses first. So write down these references, if you would. They're from the book of Proverbs. I'm going to ask you to do some reading from the book of Proverbs this week. Here we go. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 27 says that the fear of the Lord to have a proper reverence for God is a fountain of life, actually, that one may turn away from the snares of death. If we have a proper reverence for God, it actually brings out life. It doesn't bring out about a constrictive lifestyle where you don't get to have fun. It actually is a fountain of life. But here's what it does. It turns us away from the snares of death. Let's look at another passage, Proverbs chapter 28, verse 14. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always. But whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. So there's this great blessing to have when we have a proper reverence for God. What it does, there is a hardening of heart, though, for those who say, ah, I don't need that. God schmod. That's a hardening of heart. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. Write this passage down. That the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fear of the Lord says, wait a second, I actually see my heart getting hard. I see my heart wandering. I see my thoughts going into the wrong place. The fear of the Lord, the proper reverence for God is the beginning of wisdom. But fools would despise that. Fools would say, ah, I don't need that. But to have a proper reverence for the Lord... It's the beginning of knowledge. Go to Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So when the early church, great fear came upon them, that's a good thing. Passages like this would show that one of the fruit in the fear of the Lord is the blessing of wisdom. Would you write this down? The blessing of wisdom. This is a fruit that God would want to pr produce in our lives as we have a proper reverence for him. He says, you put me in the right place. You understand who I am. I am a consuming fire, and yet I am compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. When you can understand these things, when you have this proper perspective of me, the blessing is wisdom. You make good choices in your life. You make good choices as a parent. You make good choices in relationships. You invest your life in wise ways. You're preparing for eternity. Repeat after me, I need wisdom. Well, there's a blessing of wisdom that comes from the fear of the Lord. Proper reverence for the Lord. See, a problem is when we start thinking that God is nothing 
or that God's the last resort, I'll go to him later, or that God's just ordinary. When we start thinking like that, that's not the proper reverence for God. That's not a healthy attentiveness to God when we say, yeah, I'll catch up to you later when I need you. You see, I think Barnabas, he has this proper reverence for the Lord. He says, the Lord is a consuming fire. He deserves my best. I have property. I can sell it, and I can use it for the glory of God, and he'll take care of me, and I won't lie to him. There's blessing in that. Ananias and Sapphira, they're thinking, eh, God, schmod. Yeah, we'll go to him later. They minimized him. Failure, death. There's a fruit of blessing, the blessing of wisdom. I want to show you another fruit, but I want to first show you a passage in Philippians chapter 2. Write this passage down if you would. Philippians chapter 2, it says this, work out your salvation. You work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You work out your own salvation with a proper reverence for God. For it's God who's working in you. God is working in you both to will and to act for his good pleasure. See, the idea here is, are you saved based on the faith in Jesus Christ? Have you believed in him? Have you turned your life over to him? Yeah. Some of you in this room would say, yeah. Many of you in this room would say, yeah, I've done that. Then the idea is, you work with God in your growing up. You work with God in your growing up. You work with God in your growing up as you have a proper respect for who he is. You work with him. He's working. You work with him, understanding that, yes, he's a consuming fire, but he's completely compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And when we have this proper reverence for God, one of the fruit is the blessing of growth. This is God's desire for you. He wants to grow you. passage like this tells us, let's work with God. Because God gives the best blessings. He gives the ones that are now and for eternity. All eternity. I'm like, come on, that's way too good. Repeat after me, I need to grow. Then you work at it with God, who is working in you. But you do this with a proper reverence of him. You see, you and I were just wired for blessing. This is the way God made us. And really, to get the best, it's either God's way or your way. And you and I fall for the foolish thought that it's our way. Our way brings about the greatest blessing. That's what we think. Over and over and over, we fall for this lie. The problem is, we just start thinking, well, here's what I know. God forgave my sins. I got a ticket. I'm going to heaven. So now I can do whatever I want. He's given me a blank check to do... No, you do not have a proper reverence of God if that's the way you think. Yes, your sins are forgiven because of the work of Jesus Christ. Amen. And yes, you have an eternity with him. Praise the Lord. But that does not enable us to live any way we want. Does it? Problem is we start seeing God as an enabler at some time. Sometimes I was thinking about this when I was a young kid, maybe middle school or something like this. I saw some graffiti in a bathroom stall. This is not where you look for life uh, advice. But, you know, as a middle schooler, I thought it was catchy. I thought it was cool. And I grew up in the church, but I kind of liked the bathroom advice. So 
here I am, years past middle school. I've memorized this one. And it's simply this. Sex is evil. Evil is sin. Sin is forgiven. So sex is in. All right? Man, as a middle schooler, I'm like, okay, I love Jesus. But man, you know what? God's going to forgive all of this. I'm like, wait a second. That's not having the proper reverence for God, is it? That's, oh, God, you love me. I know. I'm forgiven in Jesus. I, I can do whatever I want. That's not the proper reverence of God. Every once in a while, God has to give us a healthy dose of fear. You say, wait a second. You need to have proper reverence for me. Third fruit I want to share. We've got the blessing of wisdom, the blessing of growth. Third fruit that a proper reverence of God, a healthy attentiveness to God will turn you from sin and to God who will show you the greatest love that we've always desired. It's this, the blessing of intimacy. The blessing of intimacy. This is what we want. This is why when we're little kids, we dream of getting married or we always want somebody holding our hand because we want this. God created us to want this intimacy. And he says, okay, it's going to come in the context of putting, having the proper reverence for me first. That you would have a healthy attentiveness to me. Go ahead and repeat after me. I need intimacy. Every one of us, we do. Every one of us. To be known, to be loved. God says, I want to provide that for you. And some of you, you might get a spouse or you might get brothers and sisters and you might get a best friend and things like that. But God says, I, I want that with you. It's a blessing. It's a blessing that comes from proper reverence for the Lord. Like, okay, that's who you are. You're a consuming fire, but you are a God who loves me greater than anybody else been married for 27 years and my wife loves me like most of the time all right <laughs> but what I have in the Lord and I'll struggle it's like but honey I want to hold your hand at times but the Lord says Scott the greatest relationship you can have is with me and he's teaching me that and he's teaching all of us about that there's a blessing of intimacy that comes from a fear of the Lord so here's the early church. They're struck with fear, great fear. Oh, my. But the fear that was taking place there, the fear that God had for them, the fear of the Lord was not to push them away and make them say, oh, man, we better not talk to Peter ever again. We better never lie. We better hide. The, the fear that God was instilling was not a fear that was pushing them away. It was a fear that was drawing them in. It was a fear that would say, listen, I want you to be drawn in so that you would obey me completely. It's a fear that says, I want you to worship me completely. It's a, it's a fear that would say, I want to actually draw you in and have the greatest relationship you could ever imagine. And it's filled with wisdom, a blessing of wisdom and growth and intimacy. Write this down if you would, that fear often pushes us away but the fear of the Lord draws us in. 
this seems weird that fear would draw us in. But it's completely scary and it's completely beautiful. You see, there is a fear that pushes us away. There's a fear that some of you say, I'm just not going to show up to church because I might be judged. I'm not going to show up on Sunday mornings because I don't like talking to people. There are some fears you have. That's why the Bible is also filled with a bunch of commands of do not fear. Do not be anxious about those things. But this is a different fear. This is a, a fear that has a proper reverence of God and it actually draws you in. The fear of God says, come, come to me. It's a fear that produces wisdom. It's a fear that produces growth. It's a fear that says, come in. It brings about intimacy. So I'm looking at this story and thinking, okay, great fear was upon the whole church. They were getting a picture of who God is. Proper perspective. Okay, we will revere this consuming fire God, but we will also revere this compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love God. I thought, so what does it mean for us? What does it mean for us? And as we come to communion today, I, I want us to consider this story again. Because the story of Jesus is this, that the wrath of God was to be poured out. God had to judge sin. He had to judge sin for every single one of us. This is scary. If you made a list of just your sins, it would be huge. Wrath has to be poured out on that sin. That's scary stuff. But the plan of God, the love of God was Jesus, my one and only son. I want you to go take it. I want you to take the wrath from me for them. The scary wrath, Jesus, I want you to take it. I want you to go to the cross. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to put all my wrath against their sin on you. Yeah, the crucifixion's going to hurt immensely. It will kill you. But the wrath of the sins of the world, no one can fathom that. That's scary. But Jesus does it. And is that not the most beautiful thing? Completely beautiful. Jesus, you do that for me? I was your enemy. I mean, I didn't even talk to you this last week. I kind of think of you as, yeah, you're my last resort. He's like, I actually knew that about you. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, the ungodly. The wrath of God, completely scary. The death of Jesus, taking that on for us, completely beautiful. And this is what we're going to remember today as we eat and drink that Jesus, his body, it was given to every single one of us to take as a gift. The blood that was shed was for the forgiveness of our sins. We're going to remember that today. And God wants you to experience the fruit of fear that you would say, wow, the wrath of God had to be poured out for my sins. That's scary stuff. 
But to have a proper reverence for that and say, but it's so beautiful that you would do that for me. You see, because Jesus suffered for you, this is what we're going to remember today. Because Jesus suffered for you, because he suffered for me, don't fearfully run away from him today. Don't do that. Don't run and say, oh, I know he's a consuming fire. I, I don't want him to find it. Don't run away from him today. But instead, come home. Come home. Come home with reverence for God. He says, come to me today. In just a minute, I'm going to invite you, if you're a believer in Jesus, even if you believe for the very first time today, to come up here and take a piece of bread and take a cup of juice and go back to your seat and consider the wrath of God had to be poured out for your sin, for my sin. Scary stuff. But it's completely beautiful that Jesus says, I'll do that. I love you that much. I'll do that. And let this be a time today where you worship some of you, I know that God's going to use this as a time to realign you and say, wait a second, you've been treating me as a last resort. You've been treating me as an enabler. Like you're saying, yeah, 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 I'm forgiven. I can do whatever I want. No, you can't. No, I can't. I've got to have a proper reverence for this holy God that if he wanted to would zap me for my sins, but he does not treat us as our sins deserve. And he took it out on Jesus. But now he says, come home. Let me wrap my arms around you. Let me remind you that I love you. We're going to have people at each station that will be praying for you. And as you come up, they're going to pray for you. They're simply going to see, say, God, give them produce the fruit of fear. Produce the fruit of fear. They're just going to say, produce the fruit of fear. If you want them to pray with you, great, they will. But they're going to be praying with you. God, produce the fruit of fear. And let us draw near today to the God who says, come home. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, it's humbling to stand here right now because in one sense I deserve all the wrath for my sin. Sin of this last week. If you treated me as my sins deserve, I would physically not be here. I've been lazy and selfish and I've thought about my kingdom more than your kingdom. And I just ask that you continue to grow in me a proper reverence of you, a healthy attentiveness to you in, our, in this world, that you would in one sense help me to see that it's scary coming before you, but it's completely beautiful because of the work of Jesus. as we eat and we drink, as we remember, continue to give us a proper reverence for you. 
Help us to commit our lives to you. That we would say you deserve everything. God, I ask that you would do that for those who have walked away from you, those who've had a hard heart towards you, some people who just take you for granted, for the people here today who have not trusted you yet, and maybe today is the day where they say, I need this Jesus. So meet us as we come home. We will not run from you. We will draw near to you because you are good. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Thank you for taking some time to look into God's Word with us today. Join us again next week as we continue our study 